Welcome to the WDW Radio Show for the week of August 5th, 2007. This is show number 26, and I'm your host, Lou Mangello, and I want to thank you for tuning in once again. We'll start off this week, as always, with a ton of news and views from Walt Disney World, including changes to ticket prices, food and wine, holiday special events, haunted mansion news, new watercraft now available, as well as breaking news on changes to packages coming in 2008. Our trip to the Walt Disney World Rumor Mill includes rumored new events coming to Disney's Animal Kingdom and the Disney MGM Studios, as well as some rumors about River Country. This week's show also includes something a little bit different, and I think a little extra special. I'm going to announce the next of the seven wonders of Walt Disney World, but this time I'm going to discuss it with the help of some very special guests. We'll have a roundtable discussion about what many of us believe is one of the most important of the seven wonders, and that's the music of Walt Disney World. And this is something I hope and believe you're really, really going to enjoy. Eric Hollister from Geomouse.com is going to announce the next of our Walt Disney World Half Marathon Challenges, where you can play to win some great prizes, name the third mile marker, and have a chance to win our grand prize at the end of the challenges. Finally, I'll announce this year's official DisneyWorldTrivia.com and WDW Radio Show meets and events for MouseFest 2007, including a whole new meet that I'm going to run this year with Jeff Pepper. I have a ton of emails to answer, and we'll get through as many as we can this week, as well as play some of your voicemails. And if you like the show, please don't forget to vote for it over at podcastawards.com, where it was nominated in the travel category. There's only one week left to vote, and remember, you can vote every day, but only once a day, and you must verify your vote by clicking on the link in an email you'll receive. Thanks again for any help you can provide, and once again, that's podcastawards.com. So sit back. Relax, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. And now, a WDW Radio Show News and Views Report. Live from the WDW Radio Studios in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. There is once again a lot of news coming out of Walt Disney World this week, so let's start with the latest news coming out just today, and that's that Walt Disney World has announced new pricing for tickets this week, where the basic adult ticket price is climbing 6% to a record $71 for a single-day ticket. These prices are going to take effect Sunday, August 4th, 
And while the prices do increase, it's also going to reflect changes to some of the discount packages that still can make the per day cost for an adult ticket to less than $23 if you buy, for example, a 10 day ticket. Now, while the increase isn't much of a surprise, as it does happen pretty much every year, the timing is as increases are normally announced in December or January and not August. So what are some of the differences? Well, for example, an adult one day one park pass that now costs $67 is going up to $71. Additionally, there are price increases of three to 6% tacked on to most of Disney's Magic Away tickets and annual passes. For multi-day tickets, you're looking at about a $10 average increase per ticket uh, for those kind of options. Now, there's some other changes going on as well. For example, there will no longer be advanced purchase discounts on tickets for four day passes and longer. So for example, if you were to buy a seven day Magic Your Way ticket with a park hopper option now in advance from Disney, it would cost you about $265. After Sunday, this uh, price increase, the direct price from Disney for the same ticket is gonna be about $281. So you're looking at a difference of about $16 for a ticket like that. Additionally, the no expiration option is also gonna increase by about $5 per ticket as well. The number of water park admissions included in the water parks and fun and more option is now going to be directly tied to the number of days you have on your ticket. So, for example, a one-day ticket is going to have a one water park admission where a five-day ticket will have five. Now, it should be noted that you don't have to use your water park admissions concurrently with your park admission. So, for example, you can go to the park five days in a row, use your five theme park admissions and then for the additional five days go and use your water park admissions they won't expire when your tickets are over uh, if you are an annual pass holder your annual pass price will be increasing as well although i do not have the exact dollar figure at this time and now while i know nobody is happy about the ticket price increase what i am going to do on an upcoming segment on the show is talk about some of the different ways you can save on annual passes as well as regular magic away passes to the parks but let's turn to some very good, happy news, and of course it revolves around food, and that is the 2007 Food and Wine Festival special events have been announced, and this year's events is, are really shaping up to once again be something spectacular. The 12th annual Epcot International Food and Wine Festival, and of course include the legendary Party for the Senses, where you can eat, drink, and celebrate. Those are every Saturday from 6.30 to 9 p.m. It's 135 and includes samplings from more than 25 different chefs, more than 70 wines and beers, and of course, performances by Cirque du Soleil Lanuba. Other events are going to include food and wine pairings, Epcot wine schools, resort signature dining, cheese tastings, exquisite evenings at Epcot, regional feasts, sweet Sundays, chefs afield, kids on the farm, and afternoon tea with Stephen Twining. For more information about any of these events, you can go to disneyworld.com food. I'll also put a link up in the show notes to the Disney's special events website. But you can add this to your Walt Disney World Trivia Book Volume 3 as of this year in that the Food and Wine Festival is also going to welcome its first interstate exhibit as Oklahoma is going to become the first state to appear individually at the festival to, bring, to celebrate its centennial. Now, for those of you who remember the New England exhibit from a few years back, that encompassed a region of the United States, not an individual state as of here. It's going to be called The 100 Stories of Oklahoma, and it's going to include three 12 feet tall by 21 feet long interactive walls of wonder that's going to tell the stories of Oklahoma's trailblazers. It's going to help guests learn about the history of Oklahoma and the people that helped mold the state through the years. Of course, it's going to also include traditional food menu items from the region, although no menu has specifically been set as yet. 
other special events coming up later on this year are also in the news from Disney this week, as there are new scheduled holiday events just released by Disney. For example, the special Holiday Wishes with the incredible perimeter fireworks is set to run as normal on all the Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party Nights, which have been announced. They are going to run through from November 12th through December 21st. However, on December, for between September 22nd and the 31st, the Magic Kingdom is also going to have a special regular hours version of Holiday Wishes. There's also going to be additional New Year's Eve performances in addition to the already scheduled two nights on December 30th and 31st. That means that you're now going to have three chances to, the, to see the incredible Fantasy in the Sky fireworks show on the 29th, 30th, and 31st of December. On those nights, Wishes is going to be moved to 8.30, and you're going to be able to see Fantasy in the Sky Special Edition at 11.50 p.m. Over at the Disney MGM Studios, between December 26th and the 31st, they're going to show Fantasmic three times a day at 6.30, 8.30, and at 10 o'clock p.m. Cast members have been reporting to me that as of August 1st, Breathless 2, which I've spoken about in the past, is now in the Walt Disney World reservation system and can be booked for excursions from Tuesday through Saturdays. Now, the limited schedule for now is only due to the fact that there's only one full-time driver that's been fully trained on the new boat, but that schedule is expected to expand in the near future. And speaking of watercraft, Walt Disney World has upgraded its Grand One yacht as well, as I recently christened a new 52-foot Sea Ray yacht to cruise the waters of the Seven Seas Lagoon and Bay Lake in the Magic Kingdom area. The new Grand One is going to replace the old 45-footer and debuted earlier this month and provides hourly rate cruises of the Magic Kingdom waterways. It launches from the marina over at the Grand Floridian and can be booked for morning, afternoon, or evening excursions at rates that start at $450 plus tax per hour for up to 18 passengers. Now, this also includes a personal captain and deckhand, and you can also arrange for dining and butler service at an additional cost. Now, just as an aside, while $450 per hour may sound just a little bit pricey, remember, you can have up to 18 people on board at a time. So even if, for example, you had 10 people, you're only looking at about $45 per hour for one of Walt Disney World's true incredible experiences. There's some more news coming out about what we're going to see in the updated Canada film, as it appears that Updating the footage itself really was of paramount importance, although some of the old scenes will remain the same, much of the new version of O Canada is going to be completely new, as according to Canadian authorities, the skylines of some of the major cities have changed a lot since the film debuted more than 20 years ago. They've shot entirely new aerial circle vision shots in five cities, replacing about half the film with the new footage. And as I said, it has been confirmed that 2006 Canadian Idol winner Eva Avila will be singing the theme song, and comedian Martin Short will be the host, adding another level of fun to the film. A new high-tech kitchen is on display over at Interventions, and it's sponsored by Pogan Pole and Siemens. Designed by Spanish designer Jorge Pensi, some of the products they use include an avant-garde multimedia hood, which is a ventilation system for a stove that also includes, get this, a flat panel TV and DVD player if you just can't stand to miss a second of Lost. The kitchens are obviously very modern in form and function and are showcasing new technologies from the sponsor Siemens, who's also the sponsor, as you know, of Spaceship Earth. As I mentioned in the Walt Disney World rumor mill a few weeks ago, it does appear as though the Diamond Horseshoe Saloon in Frontierland is now open as a quick service restaurant to help alleviate some of the strain during the busy season. It appears that it's only open for lunch and only has packaged sandwiches, and I'm not sure how long it will remain and whether or not this menu or style of dining is going to continue on at all. 
As I hear more, of course, I will let you know. And if you've had a chance to eat over at the Diamond Horseshoe, by all means, shoot me out an email. Let me know what you thought of not only the food, but what it's like to be back in the saloon once again. Speaking of old rumors, Disney has finally confirmed many of the rumors we've been talking about, especially for the Haunted Mansion upgrade, and those have made the respective rounds on the internet. According to Disney, to call this a refurb doesn't even come close, said Walt Disney Imagineering senior principal production designer Neil Engel. He says, quote, we're taking a classic attraction and using new technologies to present the existing signature show in a more exciting and immersive way, which has us just as jazzed up as the guests will be. The Haunted Mansion is going to be getting some new magic to the attic and bride scene, as well as to the seance scene. And as we said last week, they are going to be adding a completely new story to the previous dead space in the, in the staircase scene and upgrading the attraction audio, lighting, and special effects. As we said, the bride and the seance scene are even going to be plussed from what's going on in Disneyland, but Disney's really excited about the new staircase scene. And they're saying that it's something that they haven't seen before, and it's going to really add something completely new to the ride in a space where there really wasn't anything before. Now, I did, I was able to receive a copy of the photo that was posted on the cast member website. I will put the photo of the Imagineer working on the model of the staircase scene in this week's show notes. And speaking of the Haunted Mansion, if you are an annual pass holder and will be down in the middle of September, you will be able to get priority access to be able to see these new enhancements from September 14th through the 16th from 9 to noon. Walt Disney World annual pass holders will be able to get a sneak peek at the updated Haunted Mansion if anybody is down there and happens to be able to see the Haunted Mansion during that time. By all means, please call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW and give us an on-site immediate report on the upgrades and enhancements. I can't tell you how excited I am to be able to report this next bit of news, as many of you have emailed me asking about this while it now has been confirmed by Disney. The Year of a Million Dreams is going to be continuing on through December 31st, 2008. Annual pass holders that just received their fall 2007 Mickey Monitor have been made aware of this and hopefully feel as happy about this as I am. Again, I think the Year of a Million Dreams is a great promotion. I think it's wonderful what they're able to do, not only for us as guests, but for cast members being able to share and enhance the magic for us. I, of course, would like to know what you think. Call the voicemail, post in the forums, or send me an email. Let me know, are you happy about the promotion continuing? Do you think it's a good thing? What do you think about the promotion as a whole? Let's talk a little bit about food some more as Disney is starting to expand their healthy dining initiative as they're going to now start offering healthier dining options by early 2008. Trans fats and hydrogenated oils are going to be completely eliminated from packaged food items. Portion sizes are going to be adjusted and family sized servings are also going to be available. Some of the new food items are going to be raisins, granola bars, rice and soy cakes, raw almonds, dried fruit and nut mix, multigrain pretzels, mixed nuts, and multigrain chips. Now, this goes along with the previous changes that included the elimination of all trans fats from all Disney menu items, and as well as healthier dining choices, and using only Disney characters and names on kid-focused items, which met criteria established for limited calories, fats, and sugars. Now, if they can only find a way to make Dole Whips, Zebra Domes, and No Way Jose's healthy, I'll be in good shape for the marathon. Anyway, I'm going to report what's coming up next as big news, although it's not official, but I'm going to report it as news simply because of my source. And this is about more changes coming to packages and dining in 2008, as well as new 2007 discounts. Let's start with 2007 first, where annual pass holders and Florida residents will be getting some new discounts through the end of the year. For about eight and a half weeks from August through December, in addition to the discount, you're also going to be able to get for four weeks an added perk 
which is going to be for a minimum two-night stay, you're going to get a dining gift card, and the amount is going to be determined by the resort you're staying at. So, for example, if you book a two-night stay at Pop Century, you'll get a $20 gift card. A two-night stay at a moderate resort will get you a $50 gift card, a deluxe will get you a $75 gift card, and a DVC resort will get you a $100. Now, now I did some asking. What One thing that you can do if you really, really want to get those gift cards is that you can book back-to-back two-night stays. So, for example, if you're going to stay for six days or seven days, you can book three two-night stays in a row and get a gift card for each of the days, each of those reservations that you're staying on. Now, you should be noted that if you are going to try and do this, there is a possibility that you can get moved because you are making three different reservations. But yes, there is actually a way you can do that. But let's move on to some of the package details for 2008, which are going to be launching and announced in a few weeks, possibly even next week. And these all revolve around dining and confirm some of the rumors that have been circulating the internet for some time. As we all know, the big rumor has been about dining plan changes and gratuities. Well, now, regardless of whatever dining plan you choose, at all levels, gratuities will not be included. For a long time, like I said, this has been rumored that cast members, when they know that they're going to uh, get the standard gratuity, have been sometimes been accused of not working as hard. I'm not so necessarily sure that's true. But in any event, this is something that has changed. Again, gratuities will no longer be included regardless of what dining package you get. Now, with the Magic Your Way Plus Dining, in addition to no gratuity, you're also not going to get an appetizer. The feedback that Disney's been getting is that because of the amount of food, people are ordering either an appetizer or dessert and not both, and they found that most people actually order dessert. The price is going to decrease by $1 from $37.99 for adults and $9.99 to kids. There's also a new package which people are saying is going to be huge, and this is called the Magic Your Way Plus Deluxe Dining. This is going to give you three meal options per day. They can be full or counter service, your choice. You're also going to get two snacks per person per day and a resort refillable mug for whatever resort you're staying at. The price is going to be $69.99 for those 10 and older and $19.99 for those 3 to 9. Now, in this package, you do get the appetizer and dessert. And I think this is a great thing. And again, cast members are very, very high on this. I think this is going to be very, very big because think about it. With this kind of package, you could do something like a buffet breakfast at Chef Mickey's and then do the Yachtsman Steakhouse that night. B- both of those meals would clearly exceed the $69.99 uh, per day option that this would be. So it could really end up being a great value if you use it the right way. The third and final uh, package change, and this is actually a package edition, is the Magic Your Way plus wine. Now, you could be on any dining plan, any level, but you must be on an existing dining plan. And what this does is that for each night of your stay, you get one wine option. Now, you can get wine at any restaurant or gift shop. So, for example, if you don't want to drink wine with your dinner, you can go to a gift shop, say, for example, over at Disney's Animal Kingdom. If you want to take home one of their South African wines, you can use your dining option, uh, your wine option there. If you are using uh, the option at dinner and you don't finish your bottle, they will cork it for you and put it in a sealed bag so you can take it back to your resort. This price is $39.99 per night. And there's, you know, there's obviously going to be a limited menu and you can't choose every bottle off the menu. Um, but there, it's expected that many of the bottles will be above that price, although there will be some that would be less than that price. So again, if you use it properly, uh, it could be a very good thing and become very, very popular. Now, of course, it does beg a couple of questions. What are you going to do about possible uh, underage access to wines? Um, how are they going to be able to really kind of uh, keep an eye on that? And what are the wine choices going to be? That's really going to be 
what the big thing is, is what kind of wine choices are going to be, especially for people who really are wine aficionados uh, and may take advantage of this. Now, the one thing I should mention about this too is that if you do use this option at a signature location, and a signature location is a restaurant that does use two dining credits, you also must use two of your wine credits. So your wine credits are going to match your meal option. So again, two two wine credits if you do use this at a signature location. Uh, We're not sure about any kind of DVC member pricing, how this is going to be changed at all in 2008. But again, uh, as I hear more, as this actually is uh, released by Disney, I'm I'm sure that more details are going to come out. Remember, this is coming not directly from Disney as yet. It has not been formally announced, but I am reporting this as news only based on where I have uh, heard this from. But uh, again, we should expect to hear these things, the official announcements from Disney with all the details within the next week or two. The last bit of news this week is going to confirm something I spoke about in last week's Walt Disney World rumor mill, and that is that the wonders of life over in Epcot's future world is not dead, as it is going to be the new Welcome Center location for the Food and Wine Festival later on this year. It's going to feature a festival merchandise shop, the festival wine shop, a champagne and wine bar, and the official book signing location for celebrity chefs and authors. Additionally, you're also going to find two seminar areas there. It's going to have daily complimentary wine seminars and a location for the daily International Beers of the World seminars. This obviously explains the permits that were filed recently to allow Disney to remove many of the structural and electrical elements in the center of the pavilion. So it's expected that all the stuff in the center is going to be moved out. This area is going to be used not only for food and wine, but we expect later on to eventually be used for other special events. Again, if you have any news that you want to discuss, anything that you want to report, by all means, send me an email, call the voicemail, or discuss it over in the forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. And now, a trip to the Walt Disney World Rumor Mill. Just a few items to touch on in this week's visit to the Walt Disney World Rumor Mill. First, Animal Kingdom cast members are reporting that a new Evening Extra Magic Hour activity may soon debut in Dinoland USA. It's going to be similar to the Playhouse Disney Dance Party that's going to happen during the Disney MGM Studios Evening Extra Magic Hours. Here, the Animal Kingdom is going to reportedly begin to have a tentatively titled Character Dance Party during some extra magic hour evenings. Now, again, this is rumor. I'm not sure when this may start, if at all, so definitely keep your eyes out for this. Over at the Disney MGM Studios, cast members are reporting that the High School Musical Pep Rally is likely going to get updated changes in the near future to reflect the ties to the High School Musical 2, which is set to be released later on this month. Rumors about changes coming to Pooh's playful spot over at the, at the Magic Kingdom are beginning to swirl once again based on the number of emails I've received this week. What I am being told is that based on what people are reading and hearing, the Pooh's playful spot may be removed but not to become the villains-themed area or roller coaster as been talked about in the past, but is going to be something completely different altogether. And speaking of Pooh, they're also talking about changes coming to the Winnie the Pooh attraction itself and that Imagineering is working on some new special effects. Finally, a number of you have been emailing me about rumors about River Country possibly being renovated into a Pirates-themed water park, etc. Now, while I have heard that rumor in the past, I must admit that based on conversation that I've had with people that personally have walked the site, as well as photos and videos that I have seen of the uh, area in its current state, coupled with the water issues that still exist in Bay Lake, 
I'd have to admit to having serious doubts about this coming true, at least in this form or fashion. The only possibility would really to really be completely level the existing structures, separate the water area from Bay Lake itself, and install a completely new water system uh, altogether. Again, the, the rumors that I'm talking about, about it being into a Pirates-themed water park, I don't believe are true, although I have not heard anything about any sort of changes coming over to uh, River Country itself or any sort of decision to do anything proactively with that section uh, at all. But again, if you have any rumors that you want to talk about, anything that you hear, you want to talk about on the show, by all means, send it to me via email, voicemail, or talk about it over in the forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. I've always said that Walt Disney World is really a giant 3D movie with us as guests right in the middle of it. And in many cases, it's really not just as somebody who experiences what's going on around them, but we become part of it. And an integral part of telling the stories that we become so immersed in is through our next wonder. And that is the music of Walt Disney World. Now, because I think this wonder is so important, yet so relatively subjective, I've invited some friends of the show to come on and discuss this in a sort of roundtable-style discussion. First, you all know Jeff Pepper from 2719 Hyperion. Hey guys, how's it going tonight? And next, we have a man whose lifelong dream it is to be on every podcast on the internet, and one that a dream that he's coming very close to, Jonathan Dichter, from the All About the Mouse podcast. Thank you very much. Good evening, Lou. I had to make sure I threw the plug-in for you before you did yourself. I appreciate it. <laughs> we also have David Roshoni, who's a professional musician and songwriter, a lifelong Disney fan, and composer of the WDW radio show theme song. Good evening, folks. Really glad to be here. And we, we, may, we may possibly have another special guest joining us later on, but we're going to go ahead and get started anyway. And when I talked about this wonder at uh, the Magic Meet event a couple of weeks ago, a number of people came up to me actually afterwards and they thanked me for including it on the list because then they, they all seemed to agree that it was important on a number of levels and something that they all felt really had a lasting effect on all of us. Um, but I think because what moves us and, and what resonates with us about the music is so subjective, I really didn't think it was appropriate for me or just me and Jeff to do this alone. So before we start talking about the, the music itself, why do you guys think that this is a wonder and maybe belongs on the list? Don't all answer at once. <laughs> I can jump in. <laughs> um, I think uh, one of the things that makes music so important but relatively not considered is the fact that it's so subliminal, it's all around you. And I think that's why it's important is because you can't really go anywhere in Walt Disney World, in any of the parks, in any of the resorts, without really having some type of music going on behind you. Um, there are very, very few places in all of Walt Disney World where you can be where there is not some type of musical element. What I particularly like about it is it, it's so visceral. It just sort of it, it gets inside 
whatever you're doing and you know you're walking around or you're on an attraction and the volume is is always there it's it's never you're straining to hear it it's just it's like the soundtrack to a movie that you happen to be in and the soundtrack always sort of fits exactly what you're doing and it becomes a part of uh, you know your character's motivation or what's going on around you and, and the music is just always so well chosen for that particular moment it just it it fits perfectly yeah I, I agree with all of that um i always thought the music is the perfect way to set the mood uh in whatever park you're in or whatever land you're in and it it's always in the background it's, it's always like a tool another tool that the imagineers use and it's always uh, always there in present in their planning of it it's never really an afterthought and it's just always seems to be the perfect song for for the moment I agree with all that. And I think, too, beyond just its ability to help tell the story and set the mood and and elicit emotional reactions from people, it's something that you're able to take with you when you leave the park. Because when you hear the music at home or when you hear it at work or or whatever, it instantly brings you back to your favorite attraction or a place in the park or, or a memory that you have of being there. And it really is something about Walt Disney World that kind of you know, unifies us as Disney fans because it has such an important effect uh, on so many different levels to us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if I have a lousy day at work or, or just a long, long drive or whatever, pop right in the Main Street Electrical Parade, Baroque Hoedown, and that's it. I'm, I'm smiling. Oh. I'm happy. I'm bobbing down the street. I crank the windows open. People look at me like I'm insane, but, you know, it does we the were, trick. We were totally on the same wavelength, Jonathan, because that's where I was going to actually bring that up when Lou was talking about having a moment and the, the Barocco down on, on Main Street Electrical Parade to me is just one of my best sort of magical moments in all of Disney for me and it's because when I hear that music what I'm seeing in my mind's eye are all the lights going off on Main Street and you're basically you hear that initial you know and it's that anticipation it is that anticipation and then it is just such a magical piece of music that it really just listening to it because now we don't have the benefit of having the Main Street Electrical Parade anymore at Disney World it really takes you to that moment in time and it's just it's just a great great experience well, I think we're four for four because that's you know I on my notes here I have it's what you bring home from the parks even more than a photo or, or maybe a souvenir book as soon as you hear that music whether it be uh, uh, the Haunted Mansion or Pirates you're back in the doom buggy or at a, and you could see that attraction right in front of you and that's what that's the power of music if I could say that uh, I we're agree. supposed to do notes <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know oh, when man. Uh, you know this when I came up with the wonders idea um, I, you know, I didn't choose music on my own. This is something that I did based on responses from readers. And Dave, what you said is something that a lot of people said uh, to me. And, and somebody wrote in specifically and said, you know, I can look at a beautiful picture and think, I had such an awesome time on that ride. Or I can smell buttered popcorn or oranges like I'm in Soren, or even a smell that would remind me of something like Spaceship Earth. Or even smell chlorinated water and think about being in the pool but it's only when they hear the music that the memories really come alive. And when they're sitting at the desk, they, they're transported back in time, or they're in the queue for pirates, or, or they're walking by the castle, or they're on Main Street USA. And that's the kind of reaction that people have with it. And, you know, if, you, if I say to people, close your eyes and think about the music of Walt Disney World, it can range everything from a, a favorite attraction or fireworks or, you know, it's a small world or, or whatever. And everybody kind of has a, a different 
reaction, of course, we all said Main Street Electrical Parade, but, um, you know, a certain connection to, to music around the parks. Well, and, and it's not even just things like the parades. I mean, it can even be a simple music cue that had something to do with a, a fascinating trip for you. You know, something that doesn't even make me think of Disney all the time is if, I, if I'm sitting around and I'm watching uh, television and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire comes on, the minute I hear that music, I'm back in the hot seat. And I remember what it felt like to be in the hot seat and have people clapping and and completely missing a very simple question about basketball and getting laughed at, <laughs> and, you know. But it, it's the music and the the feeling and the sound all there in that soundstage. Same thing. It brings you right back to that moment. And, and you know, the the parks are filled with the magic that make memories, and that's what sparks it. Well, I think well, he- that's the power of music. That's for sure. Yeah, and I think that you, you hit on something when you said that the, the parks are filled with it because this this kind of leads me to my next point. is I kind of break down the music in the parks but into two general categories, the attraction and show music and the background music. And I thought we can talk about that first because it's something that we all experience when we're there, but I think a lot of people may never really notice it or they don't pay attention to it, but it really forms that kind of subliminal connection between what you're seeing and the ability to, to suspend disbelief and allowing you to instantly be transported to, you know, Africa in, in Animal Kingdom or an exotic destination in Adventureland or, or Hollywood when you're on Sunset Boulevard, it really becomes part of that environment, even if you're not consciously listening to it. And since nobody has any comments or clearly disagrees with me, what I do a lot of times when I take people to the park is I'll ask them not just to look, but to really listen uh, to the, tra- especially like in the Magic Kingdom, if you listen to the transitioning between the lands, it really sets the tone. So, for example, I'll take somebody from Main Street to the hub over the bridge to Adventureland, and you can see how the blending of music kind of matches the changing in the surrounding environment. And, and it, from the architecture to the lighting to even the pavement. And it really is such an important part of, you know, bringing you to that, to that other place that you are in Disney World. Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, and if I'm listening to park audio and I'm not in the parks, I'm listening to uh, ambient music loops. I'm listening to those hour-long loops. And whether it's, uh, you know, the Main Street uh, loop, whether it's the Magic Kingdom entrance loop, whether it's the Wilderness Lodge loop, it's, it's those things that recreate the place around you because you know an attraction lasts for five ten maybe 20 minutes if you're lucky you know but you're in the park all day long and the park is something where uh, seeing the different sites around you is is part of the fun and that music is with you even when you leave the attraction it's right there waiting for you one of my favorite areas in terms of background uses Frontierland in the magic kingdom uh, selection of the music where they're doing sort of cowboy classic you know red river valley things like that and just done in that particular style it's just so evocative of that land and it, it was one of the first areas of background music that i particularly took notice of in in all my times there it just it was one of those things where it was like i want to go home and find this music <laughs> you know i want to be able to listen to it and you know it set me off sort of on my quest for, for what jonathan's talking about the background loops and things like that just to find and be able to listen to yeah jeff i agree with you 100 percent. and frontierland is, is some of the music that comes to mind too when i think about background music and, and a lot of it's actually not even original disney music a lot of it comes from uh, old movies and and you know classic uh, kind of western style songs. I love the Adventureland music and I love the Future World background music in uh, in Epcot. I think that's just I think it's really really nice and you can just kind of sit there and listen to it by the fountain all day. Oh yeah, that's one of my favorite favorite things is being by the fountain and listen to those 
beautiful symphonic arrangements and, and of course watch the, the fountain uh, do its thing um but you know the reason why i think we all like the music is because they they always have top-notch composers and arrangers um and and it's everything is so top-notch when it comes to the music side of it i agree and, I, and then we'll touch on i think more with that with the attraction music because you have people like the Sherman Brothers and you know Jerry Goldsmith over at Soren who who just you know created something beautiful but the other the one last thing I want to mention about the background music is there is something about walking onto Main Street USA because the Magic Kingdom is always the first place I go when I go to Disney World and you hear that music and you hear some of that theme music and this kind of that old stuff and it, it that instantly transports you and it kind of gets you right into the groove of being in Disney World I think I definitely hit. Oh, go ahead, Jonathan. I, I was going to say, I completely agree. I mean, I can't hear uh, Coney Island Baby and not be sitting on Main Street. Just, you know, it, it pops on and that's it. That's where I am. And he yeah, can't, help, he can't help but smile. Brag. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Damper Dans are there. And it's, it's, it's just a great introduction to the park. Uh, you know, for, for us, my wife and I, there's a lot of theater music that's in there from stuff from the Music Man and Hello Dolly. And. It's, it's another reason you guys were talking about Adventureland and Frontierland. It's, it's the familiarity of stuff outside the park that people know uh, that are brought into the parks. And, and, and that's what I th- is another reason why I think the music, especially the background music, it, it gets so into you because you, it, you bring that from outside of the parks also. I think a good point, too, Lou, you kind of touched on it. Um, we're not even talking just all strictly instrumental music. You mentioned Disney MGM Studios and you know Sunset Boulevard majority of the background music on uh, Sunset Boulevard are vintage recordings, you know, vintage, you know, 1930s, 1940s recordings. Uh, you know, we touched on that, you know, with the uh, Jungle Cruise radio show loop that's over in the queue area there. The lobby music that's, I believe, in the Tower of Terror, it's not, it's it's all evoking specific eras in time, and it's, it's, it's songs. It's not just, you know, it's not just instrumental background music. Right, and, and as we were talking about some of that music with ties to other time periods or Disney films, that might be a good way to transition into talking about the attraction music. Because for some people, it's that connection to films that they remember, whether it's zippity doo or the theme to Winnie the Pooh or songs from Festival of the Lion King that really kind of connect people to the music from attractions, while there's other music that's timeless and, and classics like Grim Grinning Ghosts and The Tiki Room and Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. Uh, stuff that that's even kind of almost coming to, to mainstream pop culture, like A Pirate's Life for Me, and, and dare I say, even music like It's a Small World. Very good point, Lou. Uh, again, the music being uh, so well done that it does trans um, it, it does um, transfer outside of the parks very well. Uh, a casual listener can can listen to the music outside of the parks and still enjoy it because the music does stand on its own a lot. David, I uh, I agree with you 100% about the music standing on its own. And actually, we are lucky to be joined by the fifth person on our roundtable who has resolved some of his technical issues. Uh, he, again, is another friend of the show. It's Gary Chambers from the Mouse Lounge podcast. He's a huge Disney, Disney fan and a big theme park music aficionado. Gary, welcome into the uh, welcome into the mix. Thank you, Lou. Great to be here. Great to, great to have all the technical snafus resolved. Well, good. Uh, Gary, like I said, we were just talking about the attraction and show music and some of its ties to Disney films, some extinct favorites, some timeless classics, as well as some music that's really kind of transcended the theme park, really kind of going into 
pop culture. And this is maybe a chance where you can kind of jump in and talk about some of the attraction show music, maybe some of your favorite um, or, or music you think that is really exceptional in the parks. You know, I actually first went to um, Peter Pan when I was five years old. And for whatever reason, and this is, of course, long before the uh, revamping of Fantasyland in Disneyland. And what really caught my eye wasn't so much the visuals of it, but what caught my ear. And that was just the, the overwhelming amount of sound that came at you. It was something that I'd never experienced before. And now in this day and age where we've got audio input coming from so many different multimedia sources, you go into the, um, into the attraction and you still get that same visceral experience. It's almost overwhelming you how much you get in just audio and it picks up the cues from the film beautifully and it just completely surrounds you as you go through it and then you go almost as if you, you're following the narrative of the film and the music carries it it's just exquisite then Peter Pan so Peter Pan as far as music is concerned is at the top of my list I'm with you 100% not only because I'm a huge Peter Pan fan, but I think you're right. I think it's a great example of, you know, the familiarity with the film and the classic music and how it really does envelop you and bring you into the story. And you really kind of make that leap when you when you first when your ship takes off and you enter the Darling Nursery. And that music really helps kind of make that connection for you. For me, I would say probably the number one piece of attraction music has got to be uh, Haunted Mansion where it's, I mean, it literally carries you through from out in the queue line out by the graveyard into the foyer and then into as you're approaching the dune buggies and then throughout the ride. I'm, I'm, I'm dying to hear uh, the revamped audio system when it reopens. I'm down there for Mouse Fest and, and really hear it kind of the way, the way you should hear it from beginning to end and just all the different sound cues and the music. It's just, it's a fantastic piece that was written and I just love the way it carries you through the mansion the whole way and I'll tell you on the Disneyland side of things if they can pick up some of the cues that they did out west here and just so you guys know I'm actually in Anaheim I left Disneyland and came up to my hotel room so that we could uh, do this conference but um, you when you go through the haunted mansion with the revamped audio system it almost feels as though and, and it's almost ironic that everything is coming to life right mm -hmm. there you know this these audio recordings are now pushing 40 years old but yet it's as brilliant and as clear as can possibly be and it's an even more immersive experience when you don't have that tinny audio from these 60s and 70s era speakers it's just beautiful yeah having experienced that last summer i definitely know what you mean and i'm, I'm very excited to see what they do in uh in orlando dave for you what what really what what theme park audio music really sticks out in your mind? I'm going to have to say Splash Mountain. Uh, I just like the different segments and I mean obviously Splash Mountain is one of my favorite attractions but uh, the way that the music starts with uh, you know the, the three different songs and then of course ends with uh, Zippity Doo Dah uh, everybody in the, the log singing loudly on all that fun stuff. Uh, Splash Mountain and I will say in front of everybody here, that Small World is one of my favorite ones. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I say that knowing what kind of uh, recourse I'll have, but... But you know what? I think you make a great point. Jonathan, stop singing. You make a great <laughs> point 
because it's a small I'm world. Singing? For, for, yeah, well, whatever. For for all of its jokes, it's something like I said that transcends the theme park. It is such a part of pop culture. It's such a song that everybody knows because it is so memorable. And you know, love it, hate it. You know, the Sherman Brothers hit on something with that when they oh. created that song. Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, my wife and I were talking the other day as I was again trying to prepare for this. But, uh, you know, you take the music out of that attraction, and it, it's not the same attraction. And then if, you know, if, as I'm thinking of what, how the Sherman bro- Brothers wrote that in the words, you know, for what, however long that ride is, you don't think about anything about uh, except how perfect this world can be and how no matter where you are, we're all the same. And I know that's kind of Pollyanna, but uh, it's a great little song. And you're right, it does take a lot of hits, but... Uh, I will definitely stand in defense of it. Wait, we well, were supposed gotta, to prepare? I gotta admit that any time a piece of music can send a grown man into a psychiatric ward, <laughs> you've got well, to back for it. It hasn't happened to me yet, Gary, so... <laughs> well, but you know what? I, again, I think it really makes the point that some of the music like that really kind of... It gives you the feeling of... Call it being Pollyannish, but... You know, that you can achieve whatever you want, or that dreams do come true, or that you can fly, or you know what? It lets you be that eight-year-old boy all over again. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, so, I, yes, I, I proudly stand in defense of it's, it's a small world. Well, I think there are many other songs in the theme parks that have the same sort of feel to them. Um, and I'm reminded of even some of the original uh, Epcot theme songs. Uh, That's know, Energy, exactly uh, You Make the World Go Round. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, go ahead. No, I'll let you. Interrupt you. I, just, I, just, <laughs> it just, I was about to say, let's make a right turn and head over to another theme park. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, One Little Spark, I think, is, you know, is one of my favorite songs. And that, frankly, that can get in your head just as easily as uh, It's a Small World Don't after all. sing it. Don't sing it. No, <laughs> Jeff, go ahead. No, the segue to Epcot. Um, one of the things that just has had the greatest impact on me, music-wise, with Forest, is I really think that, and again, we're probably going to get beat up over just like going on our Epcot nostalgia kick. But the '80s Epcot music was to me just a watershed of of music in the mm-hmm. parks. It was just, if you remember, almost every single attraction in Epcot Center that first decade had some type of music associated. I was kind of thinking about it today, and the only attraction that I can really, you know, in those early days that didn't have any kind of theme song was, I think, Wonders of China. Uh, everything else, you know, energy, you know, uh, world emotion, horizons, they all had a vocal, you know, theme song. And they veggie, would, fruit, just, fruit, veggie, veggie, fruit, fruit. I knew he was going to start singing. <laughs> but, you know, it's, and, it, it, and the music, again, captured that idealistic very forward thinking you know futurism type thing you know horizons uh, tomorrow's child you know they were all even sort of the whimsical approach they took with world emotion with fun to be free everything just fit perfectly and you know you had listen to the land being this you know sort of this rah-rah you know environmental cheer kind of kind of you know song but it you know with the children's chorus singing behind it it was just it was all just so, so very perfectly suited to the attractions and, and actually the messages that they were trying to get across in each individual individual pavilion. I agree with you 100%. And we talked about this at length when we did our Horizon segment. And you mentioned Tomorrow's Child, which is another thing that was one of the first that came to my mind. Just not only the music, but the lyrics being 
so inspiring and so again call it Pollyannish poly whatever it is it, it was memorable and it's something that I take with me and I think Epcot is almost starting to transition a little bit because there's another uh, another track in Epcot that for me personally I find very very moving and that's the, the Soren theme yeah I and tend also, to agree yeah that the Soren theme is just incredibly brilliant without any vocals and for all the lumps, in a way, that Mission Space has taken over the years, the theme song that they did for that, Destiny, really took me back to those original Epcot themes. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yeah, I agree. Well, you got to give DCA due credit because that's where the Soren theme originated here on the West Coast, and it being transported over to the East Coast, it just fits in perfectly where it is. Although there's something kind of weird about... Um, about an attraction called Soren being in the land pavilion. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you can't fool me one bit. I know darn well you just hang out in Japan just waiting for those taiko drummers to come out, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, World Showcase. I mean, you could go on, surprise, for hours about the music in World Showcase. Just how, for so many people, it's an introduction to the music of that culture. But it's funny you mentioned, Gary, that the drummers in, in Japan, because that's one of my favorite parts of World Showcase. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. And, and taking on that percussion element into the American Pavilion, when you have the Fife and Drum Corps that comes out from backstage and you hear this quiet run da tat 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 as they march in, there's a drama that builds into it and that feeds into Walt's whole idea of telling a story and creating a narrative. And if you take in the American civilian experience from beginning until its logical conclusion at the end of the attraction, you go from the fife and drum corps and then into the rotunda where you have these amazing acapella voices and the voices of liberty. And then there's music that permeates the attraction upstairs all the way through it's wall to wall for over an hour and if i can just shamelessly plug the mouse lounge the special supplemental that i did at the beginning of july takes you through that entire strap on your headphones and and really get an appreciation for it if you've never actually done it live which which is which blows the recordings away because you when you have that live experience with all of the human interaction and everybody sharing that feeling of patriotism Oh, it's it. You can't touch it. It's unbelievable. I'm with you 100. percent We just did a segment of on the American Adventure. We had the Voices of Liberty on uh, again. A recording doesn't do it justice. And I will be the first to admit I am comfortable enough in my masculinity to say that there have been a few occasions when I've watched the American Adventure show and Golden Dream comes on that I, I get a little something in my eye. <clears throat> That's another theme song that uh, Jonathan, don't you think, is just perfect for the attraction? Absolutely. I mean, it just it perfectly matches the the theme that's there, and and I don't think there's there's anything at all wrong with admitting that you get a little choked up or a little teary when when that's going on. I mean, it's 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 part of where we come from as as sort of an American culture, and it, it fits so perfectly. That's how you know it's a good piece of music is when it affects you not just. Uh, in the way that you hear it, but it affects your emotions at that moment, and, and you feel you know goosebumps start to rise on your arms. And you've got two of them in that one attraction because you've got Golden Dream, as well as two brothers. And that's mm-hmm. the one that gets me. Yeah, you know, and two brothers runs here when it's actually running on the West Coast uh, during the Lincoln Show. You know, there's another piece of music in the park, and Dave, I'm going to specifically direct this to you because of your background. 
Um, th- there's, there's music that I think is some of the best in the park, and it's surprising on a number of levels because, number one, I, I admittedly, I didn't think they could pull it off. And it's music that I find to be fun and inspirational and evocative. And yes, it, it, you know, under the right circumstances, when I've been there with my kids, it has gotten me a little choked up. And that's Finding Nemo the Musical. Well, when you go and get the guy who won the Tony Award for Best Musical and you ask him to create the score for you, you're, you're going to get some good stuff. And um, I have not seen the musical. I have heard um, the tracks from it. And you're absolutely right, Lou. It's, it's, it's a perfect marriage of stage music um, effects. It's, it's incredible. And you can't leave hearing that and seeing that without you know feeling something that's for sure i mean when i was there with my kids and i saw it for the first time i was blown away i mean i really was blown away and again it's so much about the entire experience but you know i said before they i said how are they going to turn a non-musical movie and make it successful but again not to get all sappy but it's that that magic that disney's able to do and the power of music He's a wonderful composer, and again, to kind of get back a little bit, um, what Jeff was talking about, or actually everybody was talking about the music from Epcot, I mean, you've got Buddy Baker who did a lot of that music, and again, they go and get top-notch composers and arrangers, and you're going to get great music that touches everybody when when you do that. Legend has it when, that, that when Jerry Goldsmith, who composed the music for Soren, when he saw the film, they said he walked out crying and says, I have to write the music for this. And that's how powerful he felt the film on its own was. And I think the music kind of carries it over. And I think you, you see that at a lot of places in the park. And really, you know, I think, um, you know, <laughs> Jeff, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, when you were, t- you were talking, it almost feels like we're leading right up to the penultimate kind of piece of music that really kind of brings down the house and that's reflections of earth yeah that's oh yeah question of <laughs> i that's mean never there a better marriage of of a of, of multimedia experience with all of the visuals on the video the fireworks and it all is just timed so beautifully and again it creates a a huge dramatic arc in this wonderful 12-minute show by the time you you listen to those last beats at the end you're just you're you're just imbued with Spirit is just fantastic. I, I kind of have a confession to make because I blew it off. Um, I did not see it during the Millennium Celebration, and I was never a big fan of the original Illuminations. You know, I, it was good, but I, you know, the way it was presented, I, it, it, it was okay. And so, I never put a lot of you know stock in the new version. I just nobody ever really recommended or told me about it. So it was a good three, three years after it premiered that I finally saw it. And I remember seeing it, I was in Canada, and I was up high, kind of, on the steps up there, watched it, and it floored me. It, it just totally floored me, because it was not anything what I expected, based on my experience with the prior show. And when you get the build-up at the end, to the We Go On number, it, you know, Mike Scopa talks about it all the time, where it just, you know, you're a grown man or weeping. And that's kind of what happened to me. I just, it, it so surprised me the first time I experienced it. I just, I was just so emotionally just choked up. It was just unbelievable. Yeah, and it's just, it's an incredible, not only piece of music, but an incredible show. It's emotional, it's dramatic, and you know, you talk about having that effect on, you know, even grown men are sitting there getting emotional about it. The, I think the perfect counterpart for me for Illuminations is 
the piece of music that'll get a perfectly grown man excited and and into sort of this very uh, enthusiastic mood. You know, you, you can't watch Fantasmic and not get that music into you and at the end of it feel completely energized. You know, it's kind of the flip side of the dramatic uh, music in Illuminations. You've got the energetic music and the, the, the battle and, the, you know, dreams overcoming and, and uh, imagination winning out. And I think that's, for me, that was, that was actually the last thing that we did uh, in our last trip uh, to Walt Disney World was see Fantasmic for the first time. And I think it was the perfect ending. It was the perfect bookend for the trip because of the message within both the show and the music. For me, I have to admit that it's Wishes. And there's something about Wishes that, that again, that ties to the animated films and, and so many different emotional kind of roller coaster that it takes you on. And then when that little girl starts singing at the end, it, it's all over. No, I, I just won't. I was gonna, but I won't. Thank you. Oh my God, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Gary. Um, just a quick question: Did they still do Fantasmic in Disneyland? Yes. As a matter of fact, I will be seeing it tonight. There's two shows running right on the river, and uh, you know, it's a completely different experience here on the West Coast than it is in the auditorium or the amphitheater. Rather, that's what I was kind of going to ask you because I've never seen the Disneyland version, and just the fact that. You're, you're in a very enclosed space in Disney MGM Studios. I'm just curious what your opinion is on how it compares to to being, you know, sort of more in the park. Is that correct? You know, I got to tell you, I, I think the West Coast version blows it out of the water. And the reason for that is because there's a bit of a sense of anarchy by it being such an open space on the river. The show was designed around that area and you don't have that feeling of control. Like it's completely staged uh, on the East Coast. Out here, you almost feel like it's just a, a humongous gathering of friends, and then there's this wonderful uh, kinetic show going on right in front of you. And the river, uh, being there organically as part during the day, there's a transformation experience that you get on the West Coast that you don't get on the East. Yeah, it's amazing that, you know, as we talk about the music, just how emotional. It is for people, and and when it's making somebody laugh, making it make it whether it's making somebody cry. I know there's a lot of music for me that really kind of serves as a reminder to a lot of childhood memories. Disney World was very important to me as a kid. My parents and I went there all the time. I guess it's why I, I am the way I am, but in a good way. And and I'll hear songs um, from either extinct attractions or, or ones that are still there, and it really brings me back instantly. And then now that I go with my own family, they have even more importance to me. And it's just amazing what it's able to do. Well, thank you, sir. It's the, uh, Main Street like Electric Parade. All it takes is two or three seconds of listening to the Baroque Codown, and boom, you're a child again. That's all it takes. Right. right. Yeah, it's interesting, Lou. You know, you when you talk about sort of extinct attractions and everything, there's been a, kind of a little bit of a minor flurry on on the web on some of the sites, uh, including mine, about the Orange Bird. And one of the things that was coming back was everybody was remembering the song. Right. Um, it's just like it's this little ditty that just has stuck with so many people. And that's a, that's a perfect example of something that we don't have. We don't really have accessible recordings of that, yet it has just remained ingrained in so many of our subconsciouses. Yeah, I, the first thing I think of is If You Had Wings. When I, when I think about extinct attractions and stuff about a childhood, I think about If You Had Wings. 
and call it campy, call it corny, whatever, but it's something I remember as a child and it instantly brings me back. For me, it would probably be what my family always did the very first time we, the very first day we were there, we always went to the Magic Kingdom and the first attraction we did every time was the Tiki Room. And say what you will about Iago and Zazu, it, the original Tiki Room, when I went to Disneyland, going in and seeing the original show was just, that was an emotional thing. Because for me, that was where it all starts. And it's a tie to Walt. Yeah, true. That was an attraction he had a real vested interest in. Dave, what about you? What, what kind of attraction kind of brings you back to those early memories? Um, I would have to say Carousel of Progress. I know that's probably really out there. Now, are you, are you a great, big, beautiful tomorrow guy or a now is the time guy? I'm actually a great, big, beautiful tomorrow guy. Am I the only guy that likes now is the time? Now oh, is the time. Now is the best time. I like now. it, but oh. I have more memories of singing that with strangers as we go from one segment to the other segment. <laughs> you know, the whole little room full of cars as we're going on to the next segment. And, you know, of course, we're not bashful. We'll start singing out loud, and by the time you get to maybe the third or fourth scene, we've got the whole, you know, section of our audience doing it also. And that just brings back a lot of memories when I when I play it here or, or hear it wherever on, a, on a, a podcast or whatever. All right. Well, you know, like you guys, a lot of the people that, that emailed me or called in about and talked about music said that it was the incredible lasting impression on them that really qualified it for them as a wonder. And again, very hard to articulate, but I think we all understand where it is. Why do you think, you know, specifically the Disney theme park music has such an effect on people? I think it brings out the memories that remind us of the times when we're typically at our best. I mean, I, I search my memory over the number of, of trips that I've taken down to Walt Disney World. I can't necessarily remember having a major uh, argument with a family member or, or having any, any sort of big problems being down there. It's, it's, always, it's always something enjoyable and magical. And music... that for you? <laughs> And uh, you haven't audi- had kids yet, have you, Jonathan? No, not not <laughs> yet. <laughs> I, what can I say? The the audio it's so visceral. It just it brings you back there, and and it's a time when you're you're trying to be at your best, even if you're not necessarily. Jeff, what about you? What was the question again? <laughs> Why I'm do you so think lost in Jonathan's emotion there? <laughs> <laughs> I thought his singing is, is what threw you off, but I was saying, why do you think, yeah, what, <laughs> what is it about the park music that, that has such a lasting effect on all of us, you know, on so many different levels? It's just what, what Jonathan was saying completely. Um, Don't agree just, with Jonathan. Don't fuel his fire, please. <laughs> yes, it, vindication. It, it transports you. It, I remember, uh, here's an interesting memory, and I, you, you guys might share it a little bit. Um, going back again to the the late 80s what was very key then was it was when basically they were really they got aggressive about releasing the the theme park music they initially did it on lps then if you remember they did the kind of the crappy little cassettes where epcot had one and then there was one that was devoted to disneyland and walt disney world and in 1988 i have such a distinct memory of this um in 1988 they released the first collection i don't know if you guys had it or you, you picked it up it was the one that was called the music of disneyland walt disney world and epcot center yep and I, I still own my original copy of that, and I, I have no idea why, how it is still in playable condition because I played it and played it and played it. I guess there's some advantage to you know now it's on my iPod because now it gets break. 
but I remember back then, you know, I was going through a period where I was frequently going to the parks, even though I was living all the way up in Baltimore. And I just remember that when I was anticipating a vacation, if I was two or three weeks out, I just listened to the CD endlessly because it was just, it was, it just took me there. Um, every piece of that Epcot music from the time period, you know, listen to the land, uh, the haunted mansion, everything just effectively transported me there. And it just put me in that state of mind. And it's just that connection. It's just that raw emotional connection that just puts you in that time and place. And we all know what we say, how we feel when we're there. And so it, the music to me is the next best thing. It's it's the next best thing to being. Yeah, and, and like you said, I'm sure we all have, you know, relatively huge collections of theme park audio. Whether we buy, whether we bought the albums when we were younger, or we own the CDs now, or you know, obtain them from other sources online, or download them through iTunes. And it's never enough. There's always that one track that you're looking for. And I know Disney, you know. Even though the CDs, for the most part, are exactly the same, every time there's a new one, I make sure I pick it up. You know, there were the last year they had the Happiest Celebration on Earth, the two-disc set, which I think is great because you got, you know, two and a half hours of theme park music. And they included some great extinct attractions on there as well. But that's the kind of fix, you know, that we all need. And I'm sure everybody that's listening I know has some sort of theme park music either at home or on their iPod. And I have to say, if if you don't have your own... CD collection or anything like that and you're looking to begin one, in my opinion, the best bang for your buck, if you can still find it in a retail outlet, is the uh, 50th anniversary Disneyland box set. Because there you've got six full CDs. You've got you've got the entire Country Bear Jamboree. You've got the entire Haunted Mansion. You've got the entire Golden Horseshoe Review. And every land in the Magic Kingdom is covered. It's a fantastic set. And if, if you don't have that, that should sort of be the centerpiece of your Disney audio collection. That's kind of how, that's how I started just getting ready for my trips and getting back into the mood before I found podcasting. And then, of course, you know, podcasting found me and the rest is history. I thought, I thought there was a shameless plug coming. But, you know, all right, just to kind of to, to maybe wrap things up. If you can only pick one song, whether it's a background track, whether it's a parade track, whether it's an attraction song, what what one song do you think is really your favorite? And go ahead, Jeff, you can go first. Uh, Baroque Down, hands down. Uh, um, it, it it's, it's it's kind of obvious, but it's and it's just not just that initial introductory piece, but going through the entire parade music because it takes that initial the Baroque Down, what I consider kind of the original composition. And then it segues into all the classic Disney songs that are incorporated into the parade. And it just it's just pure Disney magic to me. I just, like I said, it takes me back to sitting on Main Street on the curb, the lights go out, and, and there you are, and there's the parade coming. So it's just, that, that's my favorite piece of music. David, what about you? I'm going to have to stick with uh, Illuminations. It's just the, every time you hear it, you just, you can see the fireworks. Jonathan? Uh, my favorite character in the parks has always been Figment, and One Little Spark is a song I will never get tired of. And Gary? Remember Dreams Come True, the fireworks show at uh, Disneyland. That's a great piece of music. That was my second choice. Ugh. Excellent. Well, I think you know one thing that's kind of consistent through all these things is that the music is so important in telling the story and setting the mood. And it does such an incredible job. And, and Walt knew the importance of that 
way back when. And, you know, you talked briefly about Disneyland, and, and it's been present in Disneyland since day one. That tradition's been carried on today at Walt Disney World, and I'm happy to see, even as new attractions are introduced and new music is introduced, that it continues to go on and that there is new music that still kind of inspires us the same way that some of these old tracks did. Whoa there, partner. Well, I'd like to throw one other thing out there that I think we may have missed or it was discussed very early on before I jumped in, and that's the live music that's in the parks. Oh, yeah. True. I mean, when you walk in the gates and you're listening to the Disneyland band or the Toontown tuners are the saxophone quintet are performing, the barbershop quartet on Main Street, the and each land has its own live performers that really draws you into the story. And that's not something that we really see all that often. It used to be that live bands was the only way that you could hear music, and the parks really bring that back. Or for kids, it's something they've never experienced before. Good hey, point. Gary, I'm really glad you brought that up because for me, it's the live music all during World Showcase. As you're walking from each land to land, um, the live music there is, is, is really great. My uh, little interruption there, I didn't mean to throw that out there, but when, when Lou was kind of transitioning there, Lou, you didn't tell us what your favorite piece was. You know, that's because I couldn't think of it off the top of my head. I, I was hoping you guys would just kind of forget about it. Um, <laughs> God, you know, I, I, the first thing that comes to mind, I guess, it, I don't know, Baroque Hoedown was there, and if, believe it or not, if you had wings was there, and Peter Pan's Flight, I guess it depends on what you know, what kind of emotion I'm trying to elicit from myself. Is that that first step onto Main Street, is it emotions from childhood or is it just attractions that I just love so much today those classic attractions like Peter Pan um, or Wishes Wishes just kind of has it all in there it's got the new music it's got the the uh, animated film music and it's got that that emotional kicker at the end so um, I'm going to give you the lawyer answer and give you like six or seven different ones (laughs) now now I picked one (laughs) Lou? yeah I I think if you ever needed justification for picking music as one of the seven wonders, you just proved it because it's not just one piece of music that we all agree on. It's all the music. It's tough to pick just one. And I think that's a testament to the the music in the parks and why it it definitely should be on your list of of the seven wonders. And David, you know, what's interesting is that what one of the things Lou touched on, you know, when, when he was talking initially was subjective. And I think when we all talked about just now what our favorite music was, I think the criteria that we were basing it on was not so much, you know, our evaluation of the music or the merits or whatever. It was our own very personal experiences with those particular pieces of music, would you say? Most definitely, Jeff. I agree. And I think for people listening, I think we all kind of, you know, represented different people and, and their own subjective things. And we might not have hit the exact song, but we might have touched on some of those emotions and some of those feelings that we all understand, that we all, you know, as I said, we all get it, and we understand the importance of that music to all of us. I feel a tear. <laughs> there's a lot of love in this room right now. I'm just telling you, there's a lot of love right now. So. <laughs> but, um, guys, I, I want to thank all of you very much. Um, I, I certainly couldn't have done this without you, and, uh, you know, your opinions and your expertise, uh, I think, really brought a lot to this segment, and I hope um, the listeners enjoyed it, and I hope they, you know, weigh in. I hope they either post in the forums or send emails or call the voicemail, let us know what their feelings are uh, about music, whether they think it qualifies as a wonder why it might be a wonder. 
things that may be personal to them. Uh, again, I want to thank each of you individually. Jeff Pepper, go check out his blog at 2719hyperion.blogspot.com. David Re- Dave Rescioni, he's from DJR Music. Uh, I want to thank you as well. Jonathan Dichter from allaboutthemouse.com podcast and Gary Chambers from the Mouse Lounge podcast as well. Thank you, Lou. Thank you, Lou. And you'll notice that I actually didn't plug All About the Mouse or voiceofmousetunes.blogspot.com <laughs> even once. <laughs> Very big of you, Jonathan. <laughs> Guys, thanks very much, and uh, we'll do this again sometime. Thanks, Lou. Thanks, Lou. Well, hello there, WDW Radio Show listeners. This is Eric Hollister from Geomouse.com, and it is that time. Yes, time once again for the next challenge in our WDW Half Marathon Challenge Series. And this week, it's going to be a little bit different. What we're going to do is have you look in your photos, digitally or scanned in or otherwise, because this is going to be a photo challenge. In order to be eligible to win, all you need to do is submit a photo of yourself or your group with a Disney character or it can also be you or your group in front of one of the four icons which would be Cinderella Castle, the Spaceship Earth, the Sorcerer's Hat in MGM Studios or the Animal Kingdom's Tree of Life. So all you need to do is email marathon at wdwradio.com by August 15th 2007 at midnight and attach a photo of either you or your group with one of the Disney characters in Walt Disney World or in front of one of the four icons. And those four icons, again, are the Cinderella's Castle, Spaceship Earth with or without the wand, the Sorcerer's Hat in MGM, or Animal Kingdom's Tree of Life. What we'll do is pull all of those together and we will randomly draw for a winner for mile marker number three. So be sure to submit the name of your mile marker for mile marker number three and the winner will receive a prize package which includes the walt disney world trivia books volumes one and two signed by lou mangello a disneyworldtrivia.com shirt a disneyworldtrivia.com trading pin and lanyard also this week we're going to throw in a mickey a mickey studio collection wall art of mickey as the sorcerer's apprentice 
The winner will also receive a certificate of dedication for the name of the winner's mile marker for mile marker number three. We will go ahead and post the winner on geomouse.com. There will also be links to it in the show notes. And finally, the winner will be, res- will be entered into the grand prize drawing, which will take place after the half marathon. And of course, as always, it is to raise money for a great cause. Geomouse.com will donate $100 to the Dream Team Project. And if you would like to donate yourself, feel free to go to WDWRadio.com, DisneyWorldTrivia.com, or Geomouse.com, and we will be sure to have links. So there you have it, folks. It is a photo challenge. Everyone is eligible as long as you've got one of those photos. Please email it to marathon at wdwradio.com by August 15th at midnight. And good luck, everyone. It is time to go back to Lou, who should be done running by now, and the WDW Radio Show. I'm still playing catch up and have a lot of your emails to get through, so let's go ahead and get right into it. The first email says, Lou, do you know of an online source to view old Walt Disney World park guides? At one point, I had a nice collection from my childhood, but they're since been lost. I'd love to be able to reminisce through old guides. Thanks. That's from Steve from Houston. Steve, there are two websites that I'll point you to. I'll put these links up in the show notes. They are www.guidemaps.com and mattlaurie.ca, and there's a whole URL that I'll put there. Uh, there's lots of covers there. Some of them have scans of some of the insides of the maps as well. You can also find a lot of these on eBay from time to time if you did want to pick some up and actually add them to your collection. Rob Brookhart from Iowa wrote, says, Lou, I'm listening to the show about the tours. I have done the Keys to the Kingdom both pre- and post-9-11. The main difference is post-9-11, you do not go under the castle and to wardrobe. You also don't get to look into the DAX either. Pre-9-11, you went down to the Utilidors through the Castle gift shop, and now you go into the Utilidors through Main Street. Post-9-11, you do get to see where Tinkerbell lands in the evening, however. Post-9-11, they have also added individual listening earpieces, so it's much easier to hear the conversation. Rob, Rob, thank you very much for sending that in, uh, pointing out some of the differences. Yes, when I did take a pre-9-11, a lot of those changes uh, had not taken place yet. Unfortunately, for all the tours, they now do have those earpieces that you mentioned, which make it much, much easier to hear your guide. And speaking of the guides, uh, Shannon, who's also known as Pink Kitty 1220 on the forums, sent in a photo of the new Guest Relations VIP tour guide outfits in the Magic Kingdom. I'm going to post those in the show notes. I'm happy to say that they are updated, but still really do reflect that same kind of look and feel as the traditional ones, so they have not been changed all that much. Sean wrote in and said, Lou, if you've got a minute, can you take a look at these restaurants and tell me for September 15th booking, which do you think would still have availability? Probably not many, but anyway, I think we're going to cancel the Spirit of Aloha show, seeing that our reservation is for 8 o'clock and it's on the same night as Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, which we've never seen. But since we're cutting the reservation short and we're in the free dining period, which below would be easiest to get in and are decent? I know this is probably a Lentesta question, but if I wait for him, we would have we would have come back already. Ha ha. I know it takes a bit to scan it over. If you're too busy, I totally understand. Sean, not a problem at all. I am happy to help. Let's just assume, for argument's sake, that you can get into all these, and I'll kind of just go through them. You mentioned the Maya Grill over at Coronado Springs. I would probably not choose that simply due to location. Uh, Concourse Steakhouse, Crystal Palace, 
Plaza Restaurant, Tony's Town Square. Those are all in the Magic Kingdom or over at the Contemporary. I would definitely want to stay in that area if you do want to uh, have reservations at that time and still want to get to see um, and take advantage of Not So Scary. Other places like the Garden Grill, Chef de France, Mama Melrose's, I would not. I think Ohana, that you also mentioned, is a great choice. You can go there, take the monorail to the Polynesian, eat at Ohana's, have a great meal, get back in time uh, to really enjoy the, the, uh, the party to its fullest. Here's another question about tours over at the Magic Kingdom. It says, hey, Lou, how's it going? I have to say right off the bat that I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I discovered your show a few months ago, but made sure to listen to every single show dating back to February. I was very glad to hear about the rave reviews you and your guest gave the keys to the Kingdom Tour last show. I'll be visiting Walt Disney World in less than two weeks and will be taking the tour for the first time. I've read a few reviews of the tour and all of them mention that a visit to and ride on the Haunted Mansion is part of the tour. Now, since the Haunted Mansion is closed temporarily for refurbishment and has been for several weeks now, what will happen to that segment of the tour? Will tour members still be able to see behind-the-scenes Haunted Mansion portion of the tour, including refurbs, or will this part of the tour simply be cut out entirely? Any word on whether another ride will be spotlighted? Any thoughts? Thanks again, and keep up the fantastic work. That comes from Brian Zulinski from Chicago, Illinois. Brian, I actually called over uh, to Walt Disney World, and I spoke to somebody that uh, that knows a lot about the tours, and what I found out is that Basically, what happens is every day they can pick from two uh, a list of attractions. They pick out two attractions that they'll cover as part of the tour. Well, the ones that they choose from are Jungle Cruise, Pirates of the Caribbean, It's a Small World, Mickey's PhilharMagic, and the Haunted Mansion. So while the Haunted Mansion is going through its refurb, it's simply just taken out of re- rotation. Uh, and to possibly answer your next question, this isn't something that the individual tour guides choose. It's really pre-selected ahead of time based on the availability and crowds and things like that. That's how those attractions are chosen for those tours for those days. But again, still a huge, huge fan of the Keys to the Kingdom tour. In addition to your emails, I also have a ton of your voicemails to get to. So let's go ahead and play one of them right here. Hey, Lou, this is Ron War Eagle on the forums. Um, look, love the show and, and what you do. And, and one thing I wanted to say is, I, I guess whenever you, whenever you say you're going commando, I guess I guess that'd be something different where I come from. Anyway, so I uh, I, I got a, a good laugh, but uh, but uh, I know what you mean. It was just probably the first time I heard it. Uh, anyway, look, man, what I was going to ask you is, I got a little girl, and she's she's going to be two in November, and we're going to be taking her for her first time uh, to Disney. As Lou says, the four or three is free, so um, I'm really looking forward to it. Man, it's going to be around Christmas time, and it's just going to be a disaster. Because the books that I'm that I bought are they don't they're not really helpful because they're more uh, geared toward I guess kids that are uh, maybe five years of age or you know, a little just a little bit older than her maybe even preteen. But uh, you know any any advice that, that you give on maybe where I can get some good literature or um, something like that and also uh, it's going to be new for me because I got to take things a little slower this time. So anyway. Uh, I gotta enjoy the details this time. So, love the podcast. Thanks for all you do, and uh, see you. Thank you for your voicemail. Um, you know, there's there's a ton of really good resources out there for planning a trip to Walt Disney World. But rather than try and go through all of them and, and the pros and cons of each, I'm gonna give you three, and these are three that I think that will be very very helpful to you, no matter what. The first will be Steve Barrett's hassle-free guide to Walt Disney World. If you're looking for a very simple, easy to follow, quick read kind of book. 
Uh, this is one that will kind of get you through the parks quickly without having to really do a lot of research uh, and a lot of worrying about planning your trip. If you really do want to plan ahead and do your research and really get to know everything that you need to know before you go, the two uh, resources that I would give you is one is online and one is a printed book. The online resource is obviously Deb Wheels allearsnet.com. It is the de facto resource for anything about Walt Disney World from touring the parks to uh, crowds to menus to special events. Anything you could think of as well as uh, reader reviews of of, um, of anything basically at Walt Disney World. I, I think it's by far and away the ultimate resource for anything Walt Disney World. For printed books, and I have to say, uh, Bob Sillinger and Len Testa's unofficial guide to Walt Disney World. Uh, I buy one every year. Um, I, I think it's an incredible resource. Again, it's very, very, very thorough. It's a very big book. Not something you probably want to keep in your pocket. But if you do want to plan ahead, you do want to do your research, this is the book to use. It talks about, again, every restaurant, every hotel, uh, different touring plans for the parks, depending on when you go. There's crowd calendars. There's reviews by a, a team of researchers and reviewers that really gives you an honest answer uh, to your questions, as well as the online resource. You can go to touringplans.com to really give you a step-by-step -step tour uh, to make the most out of your time down at Walt Disney World. So uh, Steve Barrett's hassle-free guide to Walt Disney World, the allearsnet.com website, and the uh, unofficial guide to Walt Disney World are probably the three best resources you can use depending on how and how much planning you want to do for your next Walt Disney World vacation. Next email says, Lou, first, let me thank you for a great podcast. It's nice to hear from a podcaster who remembers the Walt Disney World of the 70s. My first trip was in 1972, although I like to think that my parents' trip during that big Thanksgiving weekend in 1971 counts, but mom was still eight months pregnant with me at the time, so maybe not. Regardless, I've been going to the parks four or five times a year, literally since I can remember, and I spend enough time reading up on everything, I think I'd probably qualify as an expert. Still, there are some folks out there who claim to be expert, yet couldn't tell you where to catch a tram to take you to your Terry trailer, and would have no clue what's served in the monorail club car. Anyway, at least when I listen to guys like you and Jeff Pepper, I know I can trust your insight and opinions based on your perspectives of the Disney World past and present. Now, to my comment and question. About a year ago, we received one of those requests to take a Disney survey online. It was all about traveling with our pets. We answered questions about where we stay when we travel with our dogs, what we like to do, how long we visit, etc. I remember I left a comment that I wish I could stay at some of the on-site properties, but can't when our quote-unquote kids, dogs, are with us. Hence, we stay at the awesome residence in near the village. Without going into more detail, I can tell you that I got a good feeling that Disney was exploring the idea of developing some sort of supersized kennel more like a pet resort. Here, you'd leave your pet for the trip and could get rides to and from the locations to walk, visit, feed, etc. Of, of course, the staff could do this for you, but the whole thing would be accessible 24-7 with all sorts of amenities included, such as walking and feeding services, exercise times, etc. Have you heard anything about this along these lines? I have no doubt if they offered something like this, it would really take off. Again, thanks, Lou. Your podcast make my long plane trips whip by. That's Joe, who's JV, no log, no dog on the forums. Joe, thanks for your question. And first things first, let's talk about some of those things that you mentioned that maybe not everybody knows or remembers. First, the Terry trailers. Those Terry trailers are actually kind of mini mobile homey kind of things that you could attach to your car. You'd normally drive down, park at some place like Fort Wilderness. Well, for a time, they actually had a Terry trailer rental program. That was on the old 500 Loop, which is a site of uh, where they have cabins today. And the monorail club car 
was a lounge over at the Contemporary that overlooked Bay Lake. Now, on to your question about kennels, yes, I have heard rumors about Disney making either some sort of resorts either uh, pet-friendly, as there are some in the Orlando, like you said, that may be much more accommodating to people with pets that don't want to leave them uh, in the kennels at night, like my parents. Uh, I think the idea of a larger, kind of a 24-7 accessible kennel is much more likely and, and a great idea. I think it's something, like you said, that would definitely be taken advantage of by people that travel either by car or, or with um, you know, dogs and cats and other pets like that. Now, just so you know, there are five kennels right now on property at Walt Disney World. All of them offer overnight boarding for pets. There's one at each of the four theme parks. They all open one hour prior to the park's opening, and they also stay open one hour after the park closes. There's also one over at Disney's Fort Wilderness and Campground. That's open from 7.30 a.m. until 8 o'clock at night. The cost is $10 per pet per day, $13 if you want to keep them overnight and you are a Disney Resort guest. It's about $15 if you want to keep them overnight and are not a resort guest. And what they do is they uh, board the guests. They also will feed them, but they do ask you to come and walk and exercise your own pet. And, of course, they don't offer any sort of veterinary services, although they will refer you to a a local Orlando animal clinic if there's some sort of a, a medical emergency with your pet. Next email says, Lou, I really enjoy listening to your podcast each and every week. It always brings a smile to my face. Plus, I can't wait for you and Jeff to do that DSI investigation on the Tower of Terror. Hint, hint, hint. Anyway, I wanted to ask you a question. I really enjoy Disney. A lot. I like buying trivia books and bugging people with Disney trivia. Welcome to my world. Anyway, while I enjoy that wonderful experience you get at Disney and feeling like a kid again, I love going to parks where you can just ride a thrilling roller coaster too. The favorite of mine being Cedar Point in Ohio. I'm just curious what you think about other parks that give you more thrills and if liking them as well makes me less of a Disney fanatic. I can't wait for next week's show. That's from Alex, a.k.a. Cream Bunny on the DisneyWorldTrivia.com forums. Alex, thanks for the email. You know, liking another park, uh, even one that that might be down I-4 somewhere, does not make you less of a fan or a traitor. But just you got to understand that you know you're going to get a very different experience there from the attractions to the parks to the layout the food the employees everything is different and i highly doubt it's not going to be even close to the level you come to expect and what you get at a disney resort or at a disney theme park now if you want to just go to ride rides and not have that immersive experience with the same type of smiles and stories and feelings that you get at Disney world there are great parks all around the country and around the world that have like you said awesome roller coasters and things like that now Forgive my my heresy, and I hate to say this, but I really like Spider-Man over at Universal Studios. I think it's one of the best attractions anywhere. But I, I don't like it or the park enough for me to go back um, as much as I enjoy the ride and, and I think, you know, how well it's done. And I think that is, is what you're going to get elsewhere. Like I said, if you want to just go to ride some roller coasters, have some fun like that, it's fine. But it's not going to be anything close to what you get over at uh, at Disney. Next email says, hey, Lou, just curious. In a recent podcast, you pronounced the name of the restaurant in Norway with a sh sound in the middle. But I'd heard that it was pronounced with an S sound. Does that make it Acker's House as it's such pronounced more like Acker's Hus? <laughs> Do you know that for sure? Thanks, Erica C. Well, Erica, I actually called uh, the restaurant over in Norway to answer this email. And they told me that it is Akershus, and it is named after a real-world castle that sits on uh, Oslo's harbor. So it is Akershus, not Akershus House, or something like that. 
Next email comes from Jessica who says, Lou, I took a picture over at the Imagination Attraction. There were a lot of doors with people's names on them, and this one said Dean Finder. Is this supposed to be a reference to Dream Finder, or is it just a coincidence? Thanks for your help. Jessica, you are right. That is one of two references that I can think of over in Epcot that make reference to the original Dream Finder, who was part of the original Journey to, into Imagination attraction. The, the Dean Finder door is one. The other is over in Mouse Gears. If you look uh, at the top near the ceiling, uh, over by one of the registers, across from one of the registers, you'll see uh, the Dream Finder's old uh, vehicle that he had in the original attraction. And those are uh, two kind of references that pay homage to the old uh, Dream Finder. Stephen wrote in and said, Lou, I just listened to your discussion on the American Adventure Show, specifically the detail about Mark Twain smoking. Do you think the announcement about no smoking in future Disney films will have any effect on this? Stephen, that's a great question, and uh, I, I thought about this, and I really don't think so. And I think probably because it's more of a, I guess you can kind of look at the American Adventure as a historical documentary rather than a fictional film or obviously an animated feature where the idea of a character smoking is really just secondary to the story being told. Uh, just as we wouldn't eliminate, for example, maybe fight sequences or images of, of men at war, uh, things we might show in, in other films, I just don't think that we would see that removed here. At least, I, I don't. I hope so, especially since it's, it's a very, very cool effect. <laughs> so um, I don't think we're gonna, they're going to see them take that, that effect out. Although, again, you, you bring up a really good point based on what Disney's doing in their films in the future. Our last email this week is going to come from Jeremy Shudlowski from Plainsville, Ohio. Who writes, Lou, let me begin with a normal amount of admiration for all the work you do. The podcast books on your site are truly amazing, and I'm glad you've taken the time to do it all. The Disney Kool-Aid you make is the best, and I'm happy to say you're one of my main suppliers. My question is about the sci-fi dine-in theater at MGM. On my last trip, I noticed all the license plates on the cars are different. Is there any significance to the numbers and letters on each plate? Thanks for taking the time to answer my question and for all you do to bring Walt Disney World to me when I can't get it. Jeremy, thank you very much for the question. And uh, it's, again, one of those little hidden details that I love so much over at the studios. If you go to the Sci-Fi Dine-In Restaurant, if you've ever been there before, you know that you eat in kind of these little mini cars, which are tables, and watch the uh, the big screen with, with the big movie clips and, and uh, promos from the 50s. If you look very carefully, you'll see that all the cars have license plates on them. And you'll see that uh, the plates have initials and and, uh, and numbers on it. Those correspond to the Imagineers that worked on that building and on uh, the cars. They are uh, initials, they are birth dates, things like that. If you look really, really carefully, you'll see that all the plates are from Arizona, California, and New Mexico. And that's because those three particular states are the ones that account for most of the UFO sightings in the United States. So again, another little detail often overlooked probably by 99% of the guests, but something you should go and definitely take a look at next time you go. So that's going to do it for this week's email section. Again, I still have a ton of your emails to get to, but by all means, please keep them coming. I promise to either answer them immediately via email or get to them on the show. You can send them over to lou at wdwradio.com. You can also send voicemails to 206-202, the number 4-WDW. It's almost that time again. Yes, I know it's only August, but believe it or not, MouseFest 2007 plans are in full gear, and I'm happy to be able to announce the official DisneyWorldTrivia.com and WDW radio show MouseFest 2007 meets. We'll start off on Friday, December 7th, 2007, 
from 3 to 4 p.m. at the Studio Catering Company at the Disney MGM Studios, where the WDW Radio Show will be hosting PodFest for the second year in a row. This is basically going to be a gathering of all your favorite Disney podcasters and their listeners, where you can meet some of your favorite podcasters and they can meet you. There'll be plenty of live podcasting and recording going on, so this is your chance to kind of get a chance to be on the air. Definitely come by, say hello. Of course, we will be doing live recording from there as well. On Saturday, December 8th, that's the day of the Mega Mouse Meet and also the Epcot Evening. At 8 p.m., we're going to have the DisneyWorldTrivia.com Family Reunion. We're going to meet over at the Tory Gate in Japan in World Showcase. And this is basically going to be a very casual gathering of community members and visitors to the site uh, where we can kind of meet up, chat, relax, and uh, get to enjoy illuminations. Everybody that comes to MouseFest is invited and welcome to attend. I hope even if you've never come by the site, you definitely come by and uh, take a chance to kind of sit down and enjoy Illuminations with us. On Sunday, December 9th, that's the Magic Kingdom Day. This is where we're going to have two events. And the first one is a new one that we're going to be doing this year. And that's from 11 a.m. until 12 p.m. over. And we're going to meet at the Liberty Tree in Liberty Square, where we're going to do a live Disney scene investigation. Jeff and I are going to meet up at the Liberty Tree, and we're going to take you on a tour of Frontierland. We're going to point out some of the details and trivia and hidden treasures, just like we do on the show. You can join us for lunch afterwards for another Disney scene investigation over at Pecos Bill's Cafe. Again, this, like all my meets, is open to everybody. You don't need to RSVP. Just show up at 11 o'clock. We'll meet, like I said, at the Liberty Tree um, in Liberty Square. The final event is going to be my annual Trivia Fest meet, and that's on Sunday as well. That's from 1 to 2 p.m. over at the Tomorrowland Noodle Station. This is basically going to be a very fun, interactive game show style trivia meet where you can kind of test your knowledge of Walt Disney World. I'm going to have some prizes to give away. Last year, we gave away an Apple iPod. So uh, definitely come by, check it out. Even if you want to play, don't want to play, it's a lot of fun. We'll be doing some Q&A afterwards as well. I have all these meets up and it was all, all the details up in the, uh, the DisneyWorldTribute.com website. I'll put a link in the show notes over at wdwradio.com for this week. You can go to disneyworldtrivia.com slash mousefest2007.php or like I said, go to this week's show notes and I'll link you right over there. Hope that you can join us. Uh, if you have any questions, by all means, email me at lou at wdwradio.com. Mousefest is always a lot of fun. It's something I look forward to every year, this year more than ever. If you are going to be around, definitely come by and say hi. We'll talk more about Mousefest and our events specifically in some upcoming shows, so definitely stay tuned. That's going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank you for tuning in once again this week. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I want to thank all of my guests who made the show possible, including Jeff Pepper from 2719hyperion.blogspot.com, Gary Chambers from the Mouse Lounge Podcast, Dave Rashoni from djrmusic.com, Jonathan Dichter from allaboutthemouse.com, and Eric Hollister from geomouse.com. As always, don't forget to visit our show notes page at wdwradio.com for more information, links, and photos to topics I covered on the show, as well as to our merchandise shop and links to previous episodes of the show. MouseFest is coming up fast, so if you're looking to book your room or any trip to Walt Disney World or Disney Vacation, you can visit our friends over at the Magic for Less Travel for a free, no-obligation quote. Remember, their services are completely free to you. They check daily for new discounts to save you the most amount of money, and most of all, 
They give you outstanding personal service. Visit the WDWRadio.com website for a link to the Magic for Less travel. If you're going to be in the South Jersey area next weekend, you can visit the Celebration Gallery, where they're going to have the East Coast premiere of The Art of Disney's Pixar's Ratatouille from August 11th through September 8th, 2007. Join them Saturday, August 11th for Lay Kickoff Party, where a gourmet ratatouille cake is going to be created for the event by Food Network regular Carlos City's Hall Bake Shop from Hoboken. And that kickoff party is from 3 to 6 and includes French wine, great art from ratatouille, and prizes coming from Disneyland Paris just for the event. The Celebration Gallery is located in Red Bank, New Jersey. The phone number is 732-842-8489. For more information, you can visit their website at celebration.com. That's C-E-L dash e-b-r-a-t-i-o-n dot com and of course tell Pem I said hello on upcoming shows we're going to have another installment of our Epcot retrospective series the next of the seven wonders there's just two more left to do we're going to do some more Disney scene investigations have plenty of vacation planning information with the help of some special guests introduce a few new segments more contests your emails and so so much more don't forget that I want the show to continue to be interactive so please email me at lou at wdwradio.com with your questions, ideas, segment topics, or anything else that you'd like to hear me discuss on the show. You can also call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW, where you can leave a question, a comment, a trip report, or just a hello from the parks. Of course, come by and visit our fun and friendly forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com for discussions about all things Disney. As always, please help spread the word, and if you are so inclined, please don't forget to vote daily at podcastawards.com for the WDW Radio Show, which has been nominated in the travel category. You can also vote for some other friends of the show, including Inside the Magic for the Best Produced, Your Neighborhood Stage in the Arts and Culture category, and the Comedy Forecast in the Comedy category. Again, I want to thank you all for tuning in again this week. I really do appreciate you coming back. I hope you have a great, fantastic, and magical week. See ya! Once again, it's topsy-turvy day. It's the day the devil in us gets released. It's the day we mock the freak and shock the priest. Everything is topsy-turvy at the feast of fools. Everything is upsy-daisy. Everyone is acting crazy. Dross is gold and weeds are up okay. That's the way on topsy-turvy day. 